If you didn't get an outline, we have those out on the back table. Phyllis is walking around with one of those right now for you, if you like. We are in Acts chapter 27. This is the infamous shipwreck we've been talking about for a little while. Last chapter set the stage for it. In the last chapter, we saw that um, they were having a problem. Felix, of course, kept uh, Paul in jail for a lot longer than he should have with no charges. Festus, when he heard the case, saw, uh, he said to uh, King Agrippa, he came to visit, hey, I need to know what to write to send this guy to Caesar. And so King Agrippa came along and he couldn't find anything with Paul either that they could write in the letter. And so we know the letter is a big problem because the letter must accompany Paul on the ship to get to Rome and to tell him why they're messing with Caesar's time to be here in this case. And so they're all very nervous about that. And that's why so much time was spent on this is to set the stage for what is coming. Because uh, we know from reading the story before that a very large storm comes and hits them. But there's a storm here in Rome that set it up. What you have here is you have a, a guy who just came to power. Instead of just taking what I, what I would have thought was the best way, here in the case, he heard it within a, a week of him being in town. And he could have just said, this is ridiculous. Paul, you're set free. And Paul would have gone his way. He wouldn't have sued anybody, brought it up to anybody. It would have been over. Then that would have been done. But he didn't do that. He either feared the Jews or wanted to make friends or whatever it was. He kept them in, in jail. And then King Agrippa came. And, uh, of course, the time before, Paul had appealed to Caesar, which meant he had to go to Caesar. So he, King Agrippa came, and he was just really to help out with, uh, you know, give me something. Show us something that we can do. So it starts this chapter off. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy... When it was decided that we should sail to Italy. Who decided that they would sail to Italy? Well, as uh, King Agrippa said, this man will be set free. Or he, was, he was wrong because he hadn't been set free in two years. But he said this man would be set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Is that not the decision that he goes to Italy? But look at what it says here. Luke is very good with his words. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy... So a decision came from the powers that be, which Festus is part of. Maybe even King Agrippa had a hand in. They decided that he would go to Italy now. So when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regime, or regiment. So when in a ship of Adramatium, we put the sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. So they were put on the ship, and this Julius character is a man of very good reputation. He's a man who gets things done. What they are doing is they are, this is who they put on the boat. They put Paul and all his companions on the boat. They put prisoners on the boat. And they put a man of upstanding character on the boat. There are two reasons, any one of which is true, of why Julius is on this boat. Number one, he is an upstanding man and will get done whatever it is that you tell him. If you have an upstanding person, he overcomes problems. He doesn't get overcome by them. He will make sure that this boat gets to Italy in the time that they have uh, given them. The other thing is, Julius is one of upstanding character and we've already seen from Festus and, and King Agrippa's got some things going on that are kind of, uh, kind of funny. 
that perhaps he is one of those people who reminds them this is not lawful. He's a centurion. He has a higher rank. He may be saying, why are we doing that? He may be questioning them all the time. Is that according to the Roman law? Because this man is of upstanding character. You will notice this too as we go on that he recognizes the upstanding character in Paul, which is why he gives him freedom. People of upstanding character can instantly recognize upstanding character in someone else. Have you noticed that? Because you all have upstanding character. <laughs> and when you find someone who has upstanding character, you don't need to know them for weeks. You can tell right away. This person is of upstanding character. These are, this is a good person. You're drawn to them. You can also tell people that are of questionable character. And you're not as drawn to them. Julius is drawn to Paul. Paul is drawn to Julius. They can tell. You guys, Julius may not be a believer, but he's still a man of upstanding character. And Paul is drawn to that. And you can see from the way that Julius is operating that this is also what he is. So they want him on the boat. So here's who they put on the boat. They put Paul and all his companions. They put a bunch of other prisoners and a man that very possibly they may not like. Why do you think all these guys are on the boat? Now, when it was decided, when it was decided, we're going to get into this as we go on. They are sending them on a very long journey at the very end of the sailing season. There really is not enough time to get to, to Italy by the time the sailing season is over. And you're going to remember that uh, in the passage, it talks about when sailing became dangerous. They will overlap that time. They are on a Roman boat. Can you show us the picture of the Roman, Roman boat? A Roman boat, what Romans did, Romans were very good on the land. They were not very good on the sea. What they did with their boats is they made these large boats. Some of them were the size of a football field. They put one mast in these boats. One mast. The Phoenicians put multiple masts. The Romans put one. The Phoenicians used smaller. The Romans used bigger. Their idea was to bring the land to the sea. And that's basically what they did. They made large boats. If you took a Roman boat down, you could take three, four hundred soldiers down. You could take a lot of people down on that, on that boat. Uh, plus all the cargo and all the other things they brought. They, they would hold a lot of things. But one mast in the center, which meant all the stress is put on the center. So what the Romans came up with to compensate for this, because... You get too much stress on that center, you can tear the boat apart. So what they would do, this makes sense, doesn't it? They, would, they created a, a method called frapping. And in frapping, what you do is you take big, long rope, uh, thick ropes, and you undergird the boat with them, and you bring them up on the side, and you tie them tight. Twist them almost uh, to get them to be tight. And this would ensure that the boat had more to hold it together. But if it did split apart, it would at least stay together. It wouldn't just shatter and, and go in all the different places. So this is what they did. Instead of creating more mast, they, they did it this way. So if you were in a storm, all the stress is on one center mass. Not the smartest way of doing things. But other, others were better at it. The Greeks were better at sailing than these, these folks were. Uh, but Rome still conquered. Rome still won. Anyway, and the next day we landed at Sidon. And I bring back our map that we had. 
for our backdrop, if you can clear the words out for just a second. We are starting down here at Caesarea, and we're going up here into Sidon. We're going to go around Cyprus, and we're going to come over into this region. But they are hugging the land. These boats are not made for open water. They're made to, uh, they're just made to haul things. They're just made to take things from one point to another. And so they're putting Paul on a boat that really can't handle the open water. And how are you going to get from here to Italy? He's going up in that area. How are you going to get there without covering some open water? Would seem kind of suspicious, wouldn't it? But again, they put somebody on there who uh, maybe they didn't like. Maybe they put him on there because they knew he would keep this journey going and hopefully push it into the endangered time. Because if this boat goes down and everyone on it dies, who cares? Does Festus care? No, because if Paul goes down, so does the letter. And then it never gets before Caesar. And then he's off the hook. If, if Julius dies, well, maybe we lose a good man. Maybe we lose a thorn in the flesh. Uh, whatever it might be. Uh, there's a whole mess of other prisoners on there. Who cares? It's a bunch of prisoners. They don't really have a whole lot of regard for them. And a lot of times if there's a shipwreck, they usually put the prisoners to death. They're judged out on sea, put them all to death, and then you're, you're done. So either way, if the boat goes down and the soldiers kill all the prisoners and then escape on the, on the life raft, then we're good. So they got a lot of options and a lot of things that could happen on this that would get Paul out of the way. So Paul may not know it at this time, but he is fighting Rome. He's also, of course, fighting the, the enemy. So this is where we're going to go. You can see the, the arrows. We'll, we'll keep this up here on the screen so that you can see all the places that they, they go to. So the next day we landed at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. We don't have any mention that he did this with any of the other prisoners. There were other prisoners on board, but he did it with Paul. And when he had put the sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship. This is a different ship, not a Roman ship. It's one that is supposed to have more masts on it and is made more for the open sea. An Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. So this may not be something that Rome had, or the folks down at uh, Caesarea had counted on, but he's a pretty um, resourceful guy. And so he found a boat that's more made for the open sea. And so he puts them on this one. Now, here's the thing that, that happens when, yeah, be under Roman law, if you allow a Roman soldier on board, I guess that there was compensation for whatever it is that if the Roman came with prisoners, they would be compensating you for the, for the passage, I would imagine. But if you allowed a Roman soldier on board, the Roman soldier is in charge. No longer are you in charge of the ship. They are in charge. They decide if you go. They decide if you stay. Even though you own the ship, you lose that. That's the way it was with Rome. You can look that up all, all kinds of places. That's just how they, how they did things. So you have a non-sea person making sea decisions. He's a good guy, but that's not where you want the, uh, those kind of decisions being made. You, like, like me, I have no sea experience, don't want any sea experience. You don't want me making any decisions about that. 
And when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. When we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. So they're fighting winds. They're already fighting winds. And verse 7, when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off, off Snidus, the winds not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete of Samon. So again, these winds were mentioned over and over. The winds are our problem. Even though we're on a ship that is better suited for open sea, the winds are a problem. So we're going down, uh, down here is, here's Snidus. We're heading out and we've got some open water that we gotta, you gotta cover. You're trying to get around and, and be around on the land, but they're just having a hard time with it. Now, this guy that they found, that they switched ships for, he's a person who has a cargo. His goal is to get over to Italy. So they said, well, you're going to Italy. We're going to Italy. Let's all team up on this. The reason he's trying to get to Italy is he is motivated by profit. He feels like he can get to Italy before the real nasty storms get in. If he gets there with all his supplies, he can charge more money for them because he'll be in there months before anyone else's. So that's an idea that he's, he's got going on. So he's, he's motivated by money, which, you know, he's a merchant. They're going to be uh, motivated that way. So it says uh, they came to the shelter of Crete uh, off of Samon. You can see that, on the, that right by the number nine on the map. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lassay. So here they are. They've landed. They've had a tough time of it just getting this far. Just working over in here. It's taking them longer than they thought it would take to get to here. They battled more winds. They've had a hard time with, with all that. Because everything on those boats is all about the wind. It's all in the sails. That's how you moved. And so they came on over here. They're now over here in Fair Havens. And so they decide that they don't like where they are. <laughs> Verse 9. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them. So we had a, a lot of time, has, has trans, just a lot of time has transpassed, not that they stayed in Fair Havens for a while, a lot of time has passed because it's taken them a while to get where they are. The fast was already over. This is uh, somewhere over, the fast would have been over the 10th day of the 7th month, so roughly we're in the area of October, beginning of October. And this is the dangerous time for them to be sailing. They have a hurricane season here. They have a dangerous time that's, that's over there. And they are in it. Now, Paul knows he's been sailing quite a bit. You remember one of the things that Paul said about his uh, troubles that he's been in? He says shipwrecks. Shipwrecks. Not shipwreck. He's been in a bunch of them. I think if you get in multiple shipwrecks, how many of you are not going on the water anymore? We just say, we're not going. That's not what we're going to do. Don't want to be out there on the, on the sea. They, the boats keep going down. And, uh, you know, if you were Paul, maybe you might take up walking more. He did walk to a lot of places, but there were shipwrecks. So he gets up in front of them and he says, uh, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. He is not told this. The Spirit of God has not spoken to him. 
He has not had a dream. He has not had a vision. He perceives. He's picking this up in the spirit. He knows it's a dangerous time. But beside that, he is perceiving something else. That something else is there's danger. There's danger. This ship is going down. He interprets it. And it might have been at that point that there were more people that were going to die. I think through Paul's prayers that uh, the Lord says, I've granted you all those folks in the on the boat and so that no one died. But he may have been interceding for that and, and uh, stepped in the way. But Paul is not on his own. The devil has been trying to get to Paul for a long time. He's, he had him stoned. He stirred up men. He stirred up riots. He stirred up all kinds of things to get this guy out of the picture. And he keeps coming back. So now he's got him under someone else's care. And even though Paul can be led around the problems that the devil would face and put in front of him, he is now under Rome's care. And Rome makes the decisions of where Paul's going. So he, the, the devil can set a trap, can do things for him, and Paul must go where Rome says he has to go. So, you know, the devil's probably thinking, right, oh, this is an easier, easier time to get at Paul. We're just going to entice the people that he's with, because they're not believers. We'll entice them to, uh, to get going. So he says, this is my perception of this. Now, Julius has a great respect for Paul, but Paul's not a sailor. So he consults. Now, he's an intelligent man. He's not a, he's not a man who's threatened by a lot of things. He, when he hears, he, he's, he's okay to go out there and get all the opinions. He realizes, I'm, I am not a sailor. I may be in charge of this because of Roman law, but you, know, you guys make much better decisions than I do. And so he asked them. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. So after Paul spoke this, he goes to the helmsman. The guy who's guiding this whole thing. What do you think about sailing right now? He says, well, I, I think we'll be okay. I think we'll be all right. And he goes to the ownership. What do you want to do? This is your boat. What do you want to do? Well, um, I really want to get somewhere with the cargo. I, I'd like to not stay here. We don't like it here. So the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. So if he makes a decision for the ship to go, where's Paul go? He goes, where does Luke go? He goes, where Paul? Where's the rest of the companions go? They're all going with Paul. And I'm sure that they've had conversations. Paul, you really think this ship is going down? He says, um, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking it. And, uh, and, and we're getting on here. Because they don't have to go. They can stay right here. They do not have to go. Luke can say, Paul, it's been great, you know. <laughs> but I got a whole lot of stuff written. And, you know, if I go on a, on a shipwreck, it's, it's all gone. So we, we can't let that go. I'll, I'll meet you there in, in, in Rome. You know, I'll, I'll get there ahead of you. I'll get there after you, whatever it is. I, I mean, they certainly could have said that. And, and they had faith in what Paul was, was, was picking up. And maybe even some of them picked it up. But whatever it was, they said, all right, Paul, if you're going, we're going with you. And that's, a, that's, that's pretty tall order right there. And they did it. They jumped in on the boat and they uh, said, Paul, wherever you're going, we're going with you. If you go down, we go down. That's all right. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in. Now, it doesn't say why it was not suitable. It doesn't say that they didn't like the place. It didn't have enough um, uh, amenities that they wanted it to have. Or it didn't say whether, you know, it wasn't um, a good enough place for the ship that they had. It doesn't say why. It just says that it was not suitable to winter in. It was more suitable than where they're going to spend it. 
That's one thing we do know. It was better than that, but there's, you know, they're still wondering. And the majority advised to set sail from there also. So uh, the majority of people, the, the people on the boat, ah, come on, let's go. We're, we're going to be okay. So the majority, they went with the majority. Advised to set sail from there also if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. Okay, let's show you how far they're going. We are going from here to here. That's it. We are going from here to there. That is not far. I don't even think that takes a day. How much further along are you by getting from the center of the island to more the end of the island? I mean, why not just park the ship and walk to, to Phoenix? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> park the ship there, walk on over to Phoenix, and then come back afterwards. I, I don't know why they didn't. They had such a hard time navigating all of this way. And they said, well, we're just going over here. Now, next couple of verses are, are real key here. I already gave you this part, but if a Roman soldier is permitted to ride on your ship, they are in charge. They make the decisions. So when the south wind blew softly... Supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out the sea, they sailed close by Crete. All right, let's go back to the map here again. Look at where we're going. We're going from here to here. If you have a south wind, the wind is blowing this way. It's blowing you to the land. Right? Nothing wrong with that. If the wind is going to blow you to the land, it's, it's not going to hurt you. Because it's, not, it's a soft wind. It's not like it's a strong wind. It's going to drive you into land. It's, you can work with this. It's not pushing you out to sea. That's what they wanted. So they looked at the wind. They looked out. Again, it's not like they're trying to tell the weather for the next week. They just have a day trip to go from there to there. It's not, it's not far at all. So they looked at the wind. They looked at a beautiful day outside. Beautiful day. And, and um, well... I mean, I, how many of you have, you start out, you looked outside, oh, beautiful day, beautiful day, and then in a few hours, it looks nasty. Be, be terrible. I've had days, you know, I've gone out for a run, and it looks, oh, it looks so nice. Of course, now I consult my phone every time I go out for a run, just so I know. I don't care if it's going to rain, I just want to know that it is going to rain, I want to bring the stuff that I need, if it's going to rain, if it's going to do whatever. You know, you still go, you just, you want to have the right stuff in order that you're going to go for. So this is what it is. South wind, pushing them up over that way. Everything looks to be good. Uh, so they put out the sea, sailing close by Crete. They're just trying to creep along. So, I mean, they're afraid of something, right? You don't put all these cautions out there. They're, they're afraid something might happen. This is a bad time of year to be sailing. Very next verse. But not long after... A tempestuous headwind arose called Eurocladon. And now my margin, it says nor'easter. A nor'easter, when we have it, we, we mean we live in the area of nor'easters. And how many of y'all know when we have storms, they go from Pittsburgh to Philly to Jersey? That's how they go. They either go in a straight line or thus they go in a slightly northeast line. 
they don't usually go any other direction. Once in a while you see them, but that's where they usually go until a storm that comes from the area of, of uh, western Pennsylvania and moves across the state. When it hits the ocean out over here, something happens to them and the swirl changes and it becomes known as a nor'easter, which can be just as damaging as hurricanes. And the whole swirl changes and now the weather is over in New Jersey. We'll come over here to Philadelphia. It goes over there first. Uh, the stuff that is up in New York City is going to come down to us because of the way that the swirling. I'll show you. You get a swirling like this. And that's, a, that's what they call a nor'easter. Because now the winds come out of the northeast, which is not normal for us. The jet stream goes from west to east. But now that nor'easter will change the wind flow. And if you've ever seen it on the map, I, I love weather maps. I don't know what we did without them. I consult my weather map several times a day just because I'm curious, just because I like to, to look at it. And if I know a nor'easter is happening, I am always looking at that weather map to see when it turns and when it becomes that type of a swirling motion. And so this is what's going to happen. We have the winds coming from here, but all of a sudden, winds come from the northeast. And they come down along this way, which is what pushes them out into the open water. This is not what they wanted. They didn't think this would happen. We're just going to Phoenix. It's not that far. So, so uh, verse 15, when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. They couldn't head into the wind. They want to head into the wind. They want to get to the land. But the wind is blowing them away from the land and they couldn't head into the wind anymore. So they just had to let the, the, the boat drive. Now, look how confident they were about this short little journey. Kind of like Gilligan's Island, a three-hour tour. It became something more. And running, on, uh, and running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we s secured the skiff with difficulty. So here is this island right there, Clauda. So they were going along here, and they've already gotten blown out this far. But look at what they're doing. Running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. You may not understand exactly what they're saying, but what they're telling you is this. We left the lifeboats dragging behind us. Where are lifeboats supposed to be? On the boat. But they had a lot of people on the boat, had a lot of things going on in the boat, so they put the lifeboats behind them because we don't think we need them. We are just going from here to there. We're not going far at all. So they let the lifeboats... They attached them with ropes and they just let them drag behind them. Well, now you're in a storm, a really nasty storm, and so now they're taking the lifeboat and trying to bring it up on board. That's not all. And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands. They struck sail and so were driven. What they're saying here is they left port and didn't frap the ship. So now in the middle of a storm, you are trying to take ropes and run them under the boat and then tie them up tight while the storm is going on. That's not ideal. <laughs> There's not an ideal time to be doing this. Waves are up and down, up and down, and you're battling that trying to frap the ship, trying to keep it from falling apart. So uh, verse 
18, and because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. So they threw things overboard that they wanted. They lightened the ship. Now, you know, you first think, you first start throwing things off that, all right, we don't, we, we would like to have that, but we'll get rid of that. And then after you get rid of that and it doesn't help, then you start throwing things off that you'd rather have kept. And, and then more so until the end, they throw off the food. This is not good. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Well, that's a little more drastic. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, you imagine having a storm, you don't see the sun, you don't see the stars, you don't see the moon, you don't see anything. You just see clouds, rain, tempest. That's, uh, that is some kind of storm. And no small tempest beat on us. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Now, Paul has been on the seas quite a bit. He has seen a lot. He's already been shipwrecked. I'm, I'm sure uh, he's been shipwrecked. It's probably not his first shipwreck, but uh, one we're, we're reading about right now. And they got sailors on here, and these sailors are scared. And they have lost all hope that we're done. It is over. There's no way we can get back. We don't really even know where we are. Uh, if you look at the maps of these, of these uh, episodes, you will find that this area right here, they draw it all kinds of ways because we have no idea where they went. All we know is they went from here and ended up here. How they got there, we don't know. They could have gone down along this way. They could have gone down up along. We don't know where they went to. They went somewhere. They don't know where they went to. If they don't know where they went to, it's going to be kind of tough for us to find it. But they went somewhere. So it's usually just a squiggly line, some kind of thing. Because we don't know where they went. They went out to sea. We know they were going in this direction. The northeast winds were going this way. We can kind of tell which way we're kind of pushing them. But it's all a guess. We don't really know for sure. But after, verse 21, But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men... You should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Now, if you are Paul, picture yourself being Paul right now. God has told you, I want you to go over to Rome. He shows up at Jerusalem, there's a riot. They all want to kill him. They are beating on him. It's only because the Roman soldiers come in and pull him out. He then uh, is going to testify. He testifies. doesn't go so well. He's still in jail. They then want to lay a trap for him. And so that when he goes from Jerusalem to Caesarea, they're going to kill him along the way. God reveals the plan. And uh, that is that stopped. But he gets to Caesarea. He gets to Caesarea. They want to bring him back to Jerusalem so that they can kill him along the way. And uh, they don't go for that one. He stays up in there. He stays two years and no accusations and no one's letting him go. Two years, you are held up. Then a new guy comes into town. He doesn't let you go either. Then a king comes. Here's the case. He doesn't let you go either. You appeal to Caesar so that you can get on out of here and at least get moving and doing something. And God says, you're going to appear before me in front of Caesar. You get on a boat and you struggle the whole way there until finally... You tell them you sh we shouldn't go anywhere, and they do, and you get involved in a crazy storm that will go on for uh, 14 days. 14 days, the storm goes on. How many of you, after the storm shows up, and they are just tempest-tossed, all kinds of problems, 
Would you give up? Would you just say, you know what? Forget it. God, I know you want me to be over there at Rome, but this is an awful lot to go through to get there. Send someone else. I'll just die here. Kind of like Elijah from on Sunday. You know, just let me go. I don't need to, I don't need to keep going. It's, uh, it's over. But he doesn't. He still stays before God. He's still praying to God. And he comes up and he says, look, this is what happened. You should have listened to me. I told you not to leave. You wouldn't have encountered this loss. We wouldn't be all in this situation. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Now, before he perceived, and he qualifies it that way, it's a perception. I just, I just perceive, I think we're going to lose some people. For there should be, for, for there stood by me this night. Not sure how he knew it was night, but he says it was night. An angel of, the, of God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. Now, if he's saying, do not be afraid, what is Paul? Would you say, don't do... He must be afraid. He must be afraid. Because you don't say, do not be afraid, if you're not afraid. If Paul's sitting down there, man, this is great. (laughs) The angel doesn't show up and say, do not be afraid. But if the angel shows up and says, do not be afraid, now, I don't fault Paul. I think if I was Paul, I would have been scared a lot sooner. But again, Paul didn't have any choice. He had to go here. They're taking him along. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. If the angel says it this way, God has granted you, then doesn't it seem like Paul was interceding for all those on the ship? Because he didn't say God just said. He said God has granted you. So Paul must have been praying for everybody on the ship. Paul doesn't mention that. We can pick that up from this and we know God. But Paul doesn't mention that. How many of you would mention that? How many would you say, you know what, guys? I prayed for you. I prayed for all of you. You all were dead. God wanted you all to die bringing me along in this thing. He wanted you to die. But but I interceded for you. And God says, Paul, if you want them alive, I'll give you them alive. So you all are going to live because of me. (laughs) He could have said that. And he probably would have been right. He doesn't mention a word about it. Not a word. Therefore, take heart, men. For I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. How does he know about the island? The angel told him. Paul does not reveal everything that the angel said. Does he? He gave them enough, but he did not reveal everything that the angel said. Because Paul is not a He's not a sailor. He sailed, but he's not a sailor. For him to know that there's an island that they're going to shipwreck on, he had to have been told. So the angel simply says, you're coming up on an island. We're going to guide you right there. You're going to need to shipwreck and then swim ashore. But everyone will be saved. I think the angel said a little bit more about that because Paul, after this, will give some instructions I think he's following the angel's instructions. But he never tells them that the angel said it. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, he's already said the ship's going to be lost. 
You run a ship aground that's not in a, in a storm, it ain't gonna, it's not going to stick around. Now, when the 14th night had come, we don't know how many nights had gone on when Paul said that, but we know that the 14th night had come as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. Now, it could just be a spidey sense. <laughs> it could be the fact that maybe there were more birds flying around. It could be the way the waves were breaking. Whatever it was, they sensed that they were getting near land. And they took soundings. It's just a way that they, you know, they have uh, uh, sonar, so they, this is the way that they used it. They took soundings and found them to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found them to be 15 fathoms, which is just telling us that the ground is getting closer to the top of the water. Then, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. <laughs> they wanted some light to come out so that they could at least see and guide the ship to wherever they needed to go because they don't have any other eyes. This is all they got, what they can see. So look at all that has come against Paul to keep him from Rome. That's a whole lot of stuff to keep him from Rome. That is an all-out assault by the enemy. Rome got involved. Festus got involved. There's a whole lot of things that are going on to try and keep him from getting there. But Paul continues on. He continues on. He doesn't stop. He, I'm going to Rome. God wants me in Rome. I'm going to Rome. And the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship. When they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prowl. So they went up. We have to go over here and put some other anchors down. Well, they weren't. They were lowering down the ship and they were going to get down into the thing and they were going to hope for, from there they were going to get in the ship and then sail over to, to where they were going. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Is he saying that on his authority? Does that sound like he's saying it on the angel's authority? This is something else that the angel said to him. I'm, I'm convinced of it. The angel probably said, as you are getting close, they're going to put anchors down. The, soldier, the soldiers are going to try to escape and leave you all there. You tell them, if they do, they will die. And so he comes out. Paul did. He's a prisoner. He has no authority on here. But he says to the centurion, he knows, understands authority. Centurion, you're over these guys. Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Get in that ship, go on down, you're dead. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. So it went away. They have no more life raft. It's gone. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. I'm sure that it's as nasty of a storm as it seems. You probably don't want to eat anything. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. I mean, that's a bold statement to make. That's how much confidence he has. When God says something to him, it's going to happen. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. <laughs> Can you imagine this? We're divvying up the food. And he said, now, before we do this, we're going to give thanks to God. We've got a storm we've been in for 14 days. 
We've lost all of our tackle. We lost all of our, our uh, merchant stuff. And you want us to give thanks to God. I don't care what you all do. I'm giving thanks to God and you're all waiting on me. He prays and gives thanks to God. They began to eat. And they, they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. There goes all the money. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. Put up that map of the uh, island of Malta, if you would. This is something I, I want to show you on, on this part. They had put four anchors down before they came here. It's not uncommon for a ship of this size to have six, even eight anchors. So they had four anchors. And they, uh, nope, that's uh, the one of, uh, this is the Cape. This is where they were supposed to go from here to there. They ended up going from here to, the, to this area. But uh, pull up the one that should say Malta. Nope, it's, um, let's see if we have it in, up in there. There is a um, particular gentleman. I read an article that he had written on, and he talked about the dropping the four anchors. It is not common to drop four anchors as you near a place and then cut them off. It doesn't happen that often that you would do such a thing. And so he was beginning to wonder, I wonder if I could find these four anchors. And he actually set out to try and find them. There is a bay on the island of Malta. It's called St. Paul's Bay. And I had a map of it up, up over here. So on the island of Malta, if you can think of the south area and then the north area of the island, it's over on the northwest corner, further away from the direction that they're coming from. It's on the northwest side. They called that St. Paul's Bay. Guess why? Because that's where they think he had landed. So this guy went over to look for him and went over to St. Paul's Bay. And he began to look in the area and he couldn't find it, but he began to take some measurements of the uh, area and compare it to the measurements of Luke. And it didn't work. The measurements weren't right. The, the, the soundings were not the same. And so he began to uh, look at other places in there and he came upon this other bay. And he found that the soundings matched Luke's. But it's not St. Paul's Bay. It's St. Thomas Bay. It's on the northeast side of the, of the island. So here we have St. Paul's Bay on the island of Malta, named after St. Paul. That's where they thought he came aboard. This is St. Thomas Bay. This makes a lot more sense for several reasons. One, this area was a Roman port. This area is not. The, soldiers, the sailors say they do not recognize the land. If they were coming into a place that is a Roman port, they would have recognized the land. If they come into a place that is not a Roman port, it makes sense that they would not have recognized the land. When the guy looked around here and he found that the measurements were of the... Uh, matched Luke's measurements, they began to explore and they began to look. And they happened to find four anchors from that period of time. If anyone wants to read it, 
I made a copy of it and put it up over here. You can read his. I didn't read the entire thing, uh, and you can just get the uh, web address of it and look it up yourself if you want to. But it just made for some interesting, interesting reading on that. That uh, this is probably the area they came from. Uh, go back to our big map. Now that you have an idea of what Malta looks like. This is the island that they came upon. That's that little dot that's in there. So if they came from over here, wouldn't it make more sense to, to hit the island from this side? Yeah. Because you're coming from the northeast wind is driving you down over into this way. Uh, however, they didn't have to necessarily go in to make that dip. They just went down here somewhere. You're probably going to come to that side of the island before you come to the other. Would certainly make more sense. So anyway, that's where they have come up to. What verse did we leave off of? When it was day, they did not recognize a land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. You don't have much hope that the boat is going to last if you're throwing the anchors away. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the prow struck fast. Now, if you look at this, you're going to have more of a place where two seas are going to meet on this side of the island than you are on that side of the island. But regardless, they found a place where they could, where the seas were meeting, and basically it just means that there was more sand that they could run the, the, the boat into. And the soldier's plan... I'm sorry, I didn't miss, miss part. But striking a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast... And remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on the parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. So he's basically saying, look, if you can swim, jump now. And swim for the land. If you can't swim, hang on to this, this ship. When it breaks up enough, jump in, grab a piece of the ship, and, and float your way on over. And so that's what they, they did. And so it was they all escaped safely to the land. All 200, what is it, 76? Now, this wasn't necessary. This didn't have to happen. But how many of you all know God knows what's going on? He knows that the Romans were gunning for, for Paul. He knows that the devil is gunning for Paul. He knows that at one point the soldiers on board were gunning for Paul to kill them all. And still, none of those plans were successful. Amen. Not a single one. And Paul is not in charge. Someone else is in charge. And someone else is in charge who doesn't fear God. As far as we know, they, they don't serve God. But, uh, but they do. And so they go, they go on. No matter what it is that the enemy puts against you, he cannot overcome our God. And if you ever face a time in your life where it is really hard and everything is coming at you and everything seems to be falling apart, just simply come back to this chapter and read it over. And look at what God said to Paul. Paul, you are going to testify about me. Before Caesar. You were going to go to Rome and you were going to testify about me. How many times did he say that to him? At least th two or three. We kept reiterating it. You're going to Rome. You're going to Rome. And even when the angel shows up again, Paul, you're going to Rome. 
You are going to Rome. You. I can send the message anyway, but you are going to Rome. And you're going to testify of me. And no matter what, the devil creates a perfect... Can you imagine a storm that lasts for 14 days? I mean, that's just that's astounding. I know the storms can last 14 days, but we're not talking about a huge area here. It's not, it's not like this storm, you know, like a hurricane comes up and it may last for weeks, but it's covered a big area over that time. It's in one area, what, a day? It's in this area right here for 14 days, badgering this ship. And it doesn't stop until they are shipwrecked and safe on the island. Once they get safe on the island, it seems like the storm goes away. No matter what it is that God puts against you, or that Satan puts against you, your God is able to overcome it. No matter what it is that man puts against you, your God is able to overcome it. If he overcame all this simply because he wanted Paul to testify in Rome, (laughs) he will help us to overcome. He will help us to get there. No matter what it is, God will bring his word about. What an awesome God. (laughs) A perfect storm. Schemes of the enemy. Schemes of men. And God is not phased by any of them. And he's able to get his man where he needs to be. And even preserves the lives of those who don't serve him. Because of the one who does. Glory be to God. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. Oh, we thank you, Father, that you put stories like this in the Bible for us to hear and to read. To encourage us to know that people have gone through things in life far worse than we have. And you brought them through. Just as you told the disciples through the mouth of Jesus, let us go to the other side. Just as you told Paul, you must testify in Rome. Whatever you say, you will bring about. Whatever you have called us to, whatever you have said about us, you will bring about. There is nothing that will stop it. We thank you for it. Father, we thank you that we can expect great things no matter where we are. And even though, maybe even like Paul, we become fearful in a situation, you don't despise us for it. You simply come and encourage us. Hey, you don't need to be afraid. You are going to do what God said you're going to do. We're going to get you there. Father, I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.